0: God's had intentions that no man would ever be left behind no matter what was going on in their life, that he would never forsake mankind no matter what was going on in their life. Even to the point that, you know, sometimes people think that, well, if you sin, if something's not, if you're not living up to, to what God wants from you, then he may forsake you. He may turn his back on you because, by the way, that's what he did with Jesus, when Jesus became sin, God forsook him, he did not, God did not forsake Jesus while he was on the cross, but pastor, you, you must not know the word, because it says in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. I know what it says, and we're going to read it, because that's what you're thinking. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, e- Eli, Eli, Lama sabatani?" That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But did God truly no. forsake him? These words have been confusing to a lot of people. But most Christians, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Most believers b- will believe that god is in three persons but he is one god he's god the father god the son and god the holy ghost but he is one god would everybody agree with that john 10:30 we'll go through these real quick john 10:30 i this is jesus saying this he says i and my father are one john 16:32 you disciples he's talking about going to the cross he said, you disciples are going to leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And then the ultimate conclusion in 2 Corinthians five nineteen: for God was in Christ. Where was God? In Where was God? In he was in Christ. Now, if you look up that word God, just so you know, in the strongest concordance, it means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. So all three... Were in Christ. When were they in Christ? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's talking about hanging on the cross. God was in Christ while he hung on the cross. I don't think you got that. I said God was in Christ when he was hanging on the cross. And what was he doing? Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Oh, my, my, my. No longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You know, when I was growing up in church, you know, I used to think that uh, when I sinned that God was keeping a record book. And so he would have to have a very, very long scroll for my record because of all of my shortcomings. Not that I was super bad, but, you know, I was just like any other person who sinned. And I thought he was keeping record of it. And when I got really, really bad and the record got really long, then he would kind of forsake me and there was a separation. You know, if he forsook God because he was made sin or forsook Jesus when he was made sin who knew no sin, maybe it's possible that he would forsake me as well. Well, there's good news. He never forsook Jesus and he never forsakes us. Hallelujah. God did not forsake Adam. When Adam sinned, he was the first sinner. He he chased him down, yelling out, Adam, where are you? Cain, the first murderer, he chased him down. David, committed adultery, premeditated murder. He went and chased him down. God does not forsake you when... You sin. That is really, really good news. Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left, and those who passed by blaspheming him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him rivaled him with the same thing. Now, you've got to know a little bit of uh, of what was going on here. Jesus was tortured before going to the cross, approximately 40 hours of torture, 40 being beaten, his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns that were smashed into his scalp. Now, everybody, just so we're on the same page, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he hung on the cross for us, not only as God, but he hung on the cross, as a man, as a man, and so can you imagine Mary, his mother, is at, at the scene, John, one of his disciples, but how many people are packed around that possibly that he healed, that he taught the good news to? So many people gathered around that they really believed upon him, but now they're hero, they're superheroes on the cross. What are they thinking? If you and I were there, wouldn't you? I know what would be going through my mind. Did we miss it? Were we deceived? Our faith would be shattered. We would think, I really believe he was the one. But here he is. Here he is. He's going to die today. This is going to be the end. It would shake us. But as Jesus' manner was always, He reached for their hearts with the word of God. While he was on the cross, he gave them the word. If you were in the time of Jesus, there's three Psalms that the Jewish culture had to know word for word and memorize. It's called the Psalm Trilogy, Psalms 22, Psalms 23, Psalms 24. They knew all of those by heart, word for word, all of them. It's been over 2,000 years, and even today, Psalms 23, if I said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. where Do people know where that's at? People don't know anything about God, and they can tell you, Oh, that's Psalms 23 because it's just popular. It's, Psalms 22, Psalms 23, and Psalms 24 was that popular back in the day that Jesus was on the cross. If anybody said a scripture out of that, they could tell you. Psalms 22, Psalms 23, that's Psalms 24. So here's Jesus hanging on the cross. And all of a sudden, out of his mouth comes, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Immediately... All of the Israelites, all the Jewish people, that whole nation go, Psalms 22. Psalms 22 verse 1 starts out with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Then if you jump into the New Testament, John 19 verse 30, it says, When Jesus has received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed on his head, he gave up his spirit. In Psalms 22 again, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but you really should read that whole chapter. It is word for word what happened and what was going on at the cross. Amen. Psalms twenty-two thirty-one. 31, the very last phrase there says that he has done this. That's what the King James, but in Aramaic, in Aramaic it says it is finished. So what am I saying? So Jesus quoted the very first scripture of Psalms 22, 1. And he quoted the very last scripture of Psalms 22 to let the people know that what you have read and what you've studied and what you have memorized is taking place this very day. Woo! That is good news. So they realized he was strengthening their faith to say, don't let your faith be shaken here today because it may appear, it may seem like all is lost. But what is going on is fulfillment of a prophecy in Psalms 22. This is not the last word that you're going to see today. In verse 6 of Psalms 22. I, when I would r- read this, I would just say, why did Jesus say that he was a worm? I mean, that's just like, it was it because he was just like the way that he was treated? You know, I'm just a worm you know, and you hear Christians say, well, we're just we're just worms, we're not anything, no, you, honey, you should never say that, first of all, but why did Jesus say that, that I'm just a worm? Well, in the Hebrew, that word worm is not the normal word for worm, you know, we have worm is a worm is a worm, no matter what in, in our language, you know, the English language is, it really lacks in describing, you know, we say love, I love apple pie, I love God, I love my wife, and it's all the same word love, but in other languages that word love means a totally different thing. But the word worm is the same way. It wasn't just a little crawly thing. It was a different word that they used for the word worm. The word in here in Psalms 22 was the word that they get and crush this particular kind of worm and they get red dye from it. You can look at your strongest concordance. Crimson red dye comes from this worm. Which Jesus said that's what I am. That's what I am. I am the crimson red blood. And here he was hanging on a cross, drenched and soaked with blood. And he said, Psalms 22 is what's taking place. I'm covered in crimson blood. I'm the worm that it talks about in Psalms 22. And I'm shedding my blood for you. That's a powerful thing, Psalms 22. But did the Father really abandon him? You know, when you and I, when all hell is breaking loose in our life and everything's going, it's not just bad. It's just like, you know, if life ended today, that would probably be a good thing. It could be that bad in your life. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, I mean, we can't even imagine what he was feeling. He was made to be sin who knew no sin, first of all. How, did, how does that feel? We don't know. But when you try to comprehend that he was beaten for 40 hours, that he was made sin, who knew no sin, and at that point, there may have been a sense, emphasis on sense, that God had left him. He sensed that he was all alone maybe for a second, and, but he had to come to the conclusion of Psalms 22 is being fulfilled. In reality, we know that he didn't mean that very long because the last words of his life when he was hanging on the cross was, I commit my spirit unto you, Father. Well, obviously, he didn't think that he was gone. He wouldn't have said that. My spirit, I commit unto you. But the answer is also in Psalms 22, verse 24. It says this, For he has not despised... Nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. You can show some excitement there. I said, it says that he's not hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. Jesus was crying to him, and it seemed like he didn't get an answer. Jesus was feeling like he's forsaken, but he knew what Psalms 20, he knew the word that God was not going to leave him. Why did this have to happen like this? You know, Jesus did everything for you and me. Because of the resurrection, sadness, sin, failure, does not have the last word. Jesus, his last, some of his last words were, you know what? God, have you forsaken me? Obviously, he knew that God had not forsaken him. Jesus experienced that. I believe because he knew you and me were going to experience some times like that. Sometimes where you feel like everybody's gone. My friends who I really, really thought were my friends, my family. Everybody, you know, because, you know, I, I've just really messed up. Have you just really messed up bad in your life? I, when I was younger, I thought, man, I've just messed up so bad, you know. I, I've just really gone too far, and i felt all along, and I didn't sense God. I didn't sense any love. I didn't sense anything but loneliness. All of this is transpiring on the cross so that you and I can know today that Jesus can go to the Father. You know, God goes, Jesus goes to the Father and he prays for you and he's standing with you and he's fighting for you. And he's saying this, you know what? I totally understand what they're going through. I understand, God, what they're going through. There was a time when I was on the cross that I sensed for a moment, for a split second, I sense that I was all alone and that you forsook me. I know how they're feeling right now. I know they feel like, God, you've forsaken them. But we know, God, that we have never forsaken them. I'm telling you, that's good news. Just remind yourself because they're good. if you haven't experienced it, just hang on. There's times in our life that our emotions, sometimes, let's just, faith, let's just say it, they get the best of us, don't they? Your emotions just go off the, oh, my goodness, everything, nothing's going oh, no, it, I'm just all alone. You remember that I believe the Holy Ghost to bring this message back to your remembrance and say, you know better than that. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The moment that Jesus became sin, it may seem like, oh, my goodness, he's never experienced that. He's never experienced sin, and he became that. And so immediately he thinks that, oh, God, where are you? Father, my father, my father. But the answer is his father said, I hear you. I haven't forsaken you. I am with you. a matter of fact, I am in you. I'm in you. I will bring you out of this. And you know, in three days, resurrection's coming. What is the point? No matter what you're going through, you need to know because of the resurrection, you're coming through this. You're getting out of this. And not only are you just going to endure it, God doesn't want you just to endure something. He wants you to know that there's victory in your life. There's victory in your life. The beauty of the Father's answer is that it wasn't only just for Jesus. it's for you and me. That's what he wants you to know this Easter message today. That he will never forsake you. In your darkest hour, when you're facing some of the strongest attacks against you. You need to know that God's not angry at you. You need to know that he is for you. But can he, can he be for me when I, I'm the one who messed up here? It's my fault. Can he really be for me? He is 100% for you. <laughs> Man, that's good news. Because a lot of people will will jump ship and abandon ship when they know that you know this is your fault. This is your bed, and I lie in it. Jesus will say, "No, I've I've laid in the bed for you. You don't have to lie in that bed. This is my bed. You don't lie in that." So don't feel forsaken. We're all going to be tempted. But you should remember this scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It's one of my favorite scriptures. The second part, this is the Amplified Version, it says this. For he, God himself, has said. This isn't just any apostle who said this. This is God your Father. This is what God your Father has said. I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. In the Greek, the reason it says it three times is because there's not an English translation that shows the emphasis of how strong God is saying in this. And so the only thing they could do is repeat it three times. <laughs> is that amazing? So in, in, in the Greek, it, it, the word, they understood the importance and the emphasis of God saying this. And so the English translation, there's not. And so the best they could do is, I will not. I will not, I'm telling you now, I will not in any degree leave you hopeless nor forsake nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. But what the religious world wants you to know is that, well, it just depends on how good you act. It depends on how good your performance is that whether or not God's going to really claim up to this. But that is a lie from the pit of hell because God's saying no matter what, because of Jesus, what he went through, he went through it for you so that you can measure up through Jesus, not in your own flesh. I don't measure up in my flesh. I'm never good enough. I can't pray enough. I can't read enough. I can't study enough to claim for that, to make myself feel Holy. Your flesh will always say, you're not holy. You're not, you're not, you're not. But there is a voice on the inside of you that says, I am holy. Therefore, you are holy because he that is joined to the Lord, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, just like we have one God. We are one with Jesus. Yeah. Nobody will say, well, Jesus, he may not be that holy. No, no, everybody will say Jesus is holy. But, you know, I'm just a worm. I'm just, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, you're either a sinner or you're either saved by grace. You can't be both. I was a sinner, but thank God I have been saved. I have been made righteous. I have been made holy because of the sacrifice that was made for me. Therefore, I have victory in my life. Righteousness equals victory. Righteousness equals holiness. Righteousness equals Jesus. And if you're born again, all that he is, You have been made one with him. You'll never feel that you are truly loved until you know that someone knows everything about you. Every wicked thought, every wicked deed, every wicked thing you've ever done. You'll never feel true love till someone you know knows everything about you and yet still loves you. There's a lot of people on this planet that can't handle that. But your Heavenly Father not only handles it, He's the one who said it and makes it happen because of Jesus. He knows everything about you. You know, you can hide a lot of stuff from people. You can hide. You can good. You know, we dress up on. I put a suit on twice a year. Easter and Christmas. Well, I wear it for church services, for other for funerals and weddings. I do, but for two church services, I dress up, and so I I look pretty good in this. But it covers up a lot of blemishes. <laughs> It covers up a lot of stuff, you know. You just, if you really knew me see me, use, yeah, well, well, anybody. But, it, you know, you can say a lot. Everybody just stay in the room, all right? Just stay where you are. We try to cover up stuff. We try to look good in front of people. We want to look our best in front of people. And so we can take this into the religious room with God. But, honey, when you come to the throne of grace, there's nothing to be hidden from him. And so he says, I accept you just... We believe this before we get saved. Just as I am. Billy Graham did a lot better job on that. But just as I am, without one plea, I come. Just as I am, I come. And we come to the cross and we get born again. And now we don't just keep coming to him just as we are. We have to say, well, I gotta do better, I gotta do this, and I gotta make sure of this, and I've gotta be, I gotta be, I gotta be better, I gotta be better. And we quit the whole philosophy and the mentality of God saying, this is not a rule book, but this is a book that you can go on a journey with God and find out how good your Heavenly Father is and what He has done for you and what He's truly made you to be. We don't know who we are on the inside. That's why I come to church. That's why I preach. That's why I study, just to find out who the real Mike Davis is. With the real Mike Davis please stand up? (laughs) Why? Because the, the real Mike Davis is righteous. The real Mike Davis is holy. The real Mike Davis is perfect before God. Yeah, people say, oh, that's real close to blasphemy. Jesus said, he that is joined to the Lord is one. Jesus doesn't have a mixture. He doesn't have a mixture of sin and holiness. You know, you just mix it up and it's all one. No, he doesn't mix anything. He is righteous and pure and holy and there's no darkness or shadow of turning, no sin in him. And therefore, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I know that that this just caused people to choke on their own religion right there. But I want to tell you something. When you find out how righteous you have been made, not what you're trying to attain. I'm going to say it again. When you find out what you've been made instead of trying to attain something. Because if you're trying to attain something, the devil will make sure that you're, you'll you never get it. You're close, but you're never there. But when you find out who you truly are in Christ, it will trans. Form your life and your way of thinking. You see, when somebody says, you know, oh, I saw so-and-so at the bar. They were drunk and everything. You know, I thought they were saved. And if I'm in part of that conversation, I'm going to look at them and say, what makes you think they're not? I just felt all the oxygen sucked out of the room. I'm having a hard time breathing right now. What makes you think they're not? Well, because, you know, they sin. Oh, so if you sin. Really? It's amazing how far the church has gone in this. In the ditch, that is. Am I advocating sin? Or, oh, of course not. Don't get stupid on me. But I am saying this. What I do does not determine my identity. Mm. My identity has been determined by Him. Amen. When you and I figure that out, we'll quit playing religion. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> <laughs> this is set you free. When I mess up, I don't run because I, I used to run from God and people are still doing that today. People are staying away from church today by the millions because, you know, well, you know, I, I was at the bar last night and you want me to go to church on Sunday morning? You give me a break. No. I'm telling you, when we find out that what Jesus has done for us, is his blood really powerful enough to cover your sin or is his blood powerful enough to take your sin away as if it never existed? There's a big difference. In the Old Testament, it covered. But in the New Testament, when you sin, it takes it away as if it never existed. So the devil can't go to you and say, well, you did this. Well, let's just check God's books. Let's check his books. 2 Corinthians five nineteen, God was in Christ reconciling the world, no longer counting people's sins against them. Which means you go to God's book up in heaven. There's a book. It's got my name in it, and it goes, "Oh, I just see the blood of Jesus here, uh, Devil. The the thing that you said he did, I, it's just, it's just not in here." <sighs> People may remember what you did, but your Father is God, and He has the ability to not remember. You may think that my life, I mean, I I just don't have my act together. Most people don't, by the way. And that's why we needed a Savior, by the way. You needed a Savior. Because no matter what your standard was, you know, people have different standards of of how God accepts them or is pleasing to them. But I want to tell you something. Do you know God doesn't grade on a curve? Oh, well, I'm not as bad as them. So, you know, I'm up here. I'm not as bad as them. You know, God grades on the curve. So I'm, I'm on this curve. I'm up here. I'm not as bad as them. And so religion does that. They look at them. Oh, it's. Hmm. Did you hear what she did? Who she was with? Did you hear Oh, yeah, we're not as bad as them. Let me just say something. According to God, you have to be perfect. So it's either pass or fail, 100% or zero. 99%, you still fail. You still fail. 99.99999999 you still fail because you come up short. And so the devil holds that over mankind. You're not really that good. You really mess up sometimes, like daily. (laughs) So now I just agree with the devil. You know, it's kind of odd to agree with the devil. You are absolutely right. I don't measure up. I need to love my wife. You're right, I should love my wife a lot better. As Christ loved the church, I just need to do all these things. You're right, I just need to do this. And the devil goes, yeah. Yeah. You're right, but I want you to know that my standard is not based upon my performance. My righteousness is not based upon my performance. My holiness is not based upon me. It's based upon him, and because he has set me free from all of that, I get all of the benefits Which God said, if you're perfect before me, if you listen diligently to my voice, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, they had the old covenant. It says, you have to do to get, you have to do to get, you have to do to get. But along comes Jesus, and he says, I have done, now I'm gonna give it to you. That is called grace. I don't have to do it to get it because he did it and I got it. And as long as the church finds out who they are and what he has done for you, it will cause you to walk even as he walked. It will cause you to serve him. It will cause you to worship him because you know we can't do it, never will, and never intended to. Man, how does set you free? It just kicks religion between the teeth and go, Wow, I did I thought it was up to me. Really? For decades I did. For decades, I thought it was up to me. And Jesus said, whatever happened to the cross and the resurrection? If it was up to you, what, what, what was all that about? What was all that about? You see, we find out just like we did when we first found out the good news. It's still about Jesus. Before you get saved, it's still about Jesus. After you get saved, it's still about Jesus. So... Luke 24, 1 through 9. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. You see God was in Christ reconciling the world he was in Christ one part of the resurrection which you could preach for months on the resurrection but one revelation nugget is this all of this happened so that now God was in Christ it says in 2nd Corinthians 5 19 he was in Christ reconciling the world now God says because of the resurrection Listen to this now. Because of the resurrection, the main thing about the resurrection is now God said, I'm not only in the body, physical body of Christ, now I'm in you, and I'm in you, and I'm in you because of the resurrection. I can be in anybody who accepts me. I come and become one with him. I'm in him. So in your darkest hour, he's there going through a time of temptation, and the temptation overcomes you, he's there. You know, you walk into this you, to this terrible situation, God doesn't go, excuse me, I can't go in there, I'm going to step outside of your body. You go right ahead. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's right there with you 24-7, no matter what you're going through, no matter what anybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't even know if you're saved. Oh, yes, you are, you just don't know who you are. You just don't know who you are. Christ is never going to leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will not, I will not, I will not. I'm telling you, assuredly not. I will never release or relax my hold on you ever. You may sense, you may sense there's a departure, but it's just your emotions. You may sense that your father's not there, but it's just a sensation. And the good news is Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. He knows what you're going through. He knows the feelings and the emotions because he experienced it himself. And yet he says, I know my God's never left me, even though he expressed it. Well, you may think, does my life even matter? Do I have purpose? It doesn't seem like I have purpose. In the great grand scheme of things, Do I really have purpose? I know this has been, you know, maybe a great Easter message for you, but I'm telling you, next week we're going to start a series on a life of purpose. And I want to prove to you that God in Christ was reconciling the world, but he did all of this so Jesus could be resurrected, so that the God package, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, could come and dwell inside of you and make your life not only alive but have purpose and meaning. You see, this is my opinion. I believe that not only Jesus has nail pierced. He told Thomas, put your hand into my nail pierced hands. I have nail pierced feet. And I have a scar on my side. You see, because God is one, this is my opinion, my opinion. So if you disagree with it, that's right, because there's not a scripture for this. But because I believe what the Bible says that God is one. I believe God the Father has nail-pierced hands. I believe he has nail-pierced feet. And I believe he has a scar on his side. Because he was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So I believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost all have the signs of piercings in their body. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that when you get born again, you become a new species, a new creature, a new person. The old man dies away, and you become one, and you become one with Jesus. So guess what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, now you and me, we have pierced hands. Our spiritual man has piercings on our hand, piercings on our feet. I got a scar on my side in the spiritual realm. Why is that significant? You may not realize this, but the devil, every time he sees you, he can see your spirit and he knows that you've been marked. And that marking is a marking that slapped a snot out of him, that defeated him, that caused defeat in every area that he tried to have victory in. And because of that, He knows that he's not just dealing with Mike Davis. He's not just dealing with you. He's not just dealing with you. He's dealing with the Godhead. He's dealing with the Godhead because we're all family now because we have the same markings. And those markings mean he that was dead is now alive. That's enough to make the devil tremble. If we could see the devil, he is not as powerful as what the the world has made him out to be. He is scared to death of the church finding out who they really are, how much power is in them, and how much victory they really have. He shakes and trembles. Every morning when you wake up, all hell shakes. They're awake. They're alive. And when your eyes have revelation knowledge to find out who you are, In Christ, the devil knows that his days of victory over your life are done, finished. Whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships. When you find out how great the mighty God is in you and the power that he has given you, Ephesians 3.20 says that God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that is in you. You have power to win at every situation that comes up against you. Even the most tragic time in your life, God is saying, hey, I'm in you. Don't forget that. I'm in you. You're not doing this all by yourself. I'm in you. What a powerful truth. So next week, we'll start this series about purpose. God is in you, and you have a life of purpose that is not just any. Most people live their whole life and go to the grave and never truly find out the greatness of the purpose that God has for them. Amen? We're going to talk about that next week. Let's stand.